Alton Dillard comes from the other side of the political fence from me. He's worn many hats in his years in Colorado politics. He's worked for the legendary Ben Nighthorse Campbell, the Denver Elections Division, the city and county, now runs his own firm. I wanted to get his take on the massive social shift in our state over the many, many years. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that show by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. You're gonna like this discussion. You might have seen him from some other lesser program, but you might know him. Alden Dillard, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Hey, I didn't know that you worked for for the big man, Nighthorse Campbell. I did. Worked for him for the entire 12 years he was in the United States Senate and actually started working for him during his uh, 92 Senate campaign. How's he doing? He's doing well. He's actually still designing jewelry. He still lives down in the Four Corners. I saw him about four years ago when I was in Durango for a conference. We had a chance to catch up, but he's still the uh, same guy I remember. He ruined everything in Colorado. <laughs> All right. He ruined everything for Republicans in Colorado. <laughs> you you were around when he switched parties. I was. Uh -huh. All right. So uh, poor for everybody who was planning to run for that U.S. Senate seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm trying to, oh, who, who was it who was uh, promised that seat? Oh, I'm blanking out, I can see him, he ran for governor, I'm blanking out, Alzheimer's stinks. And then along comes Nighthorse Campbell, mm -hmm. who switches party as a Democratic senator mm -hmm. and switches, mm -hmm. and the agreement was, well, if you switch party, we're, nobody's gonna run against you in the primary. And lo and behold, no Republican did. But a lot of Republicans were not happy about that because it was their turn to run a run against him. What made him make that switch? You know, I think were it was, you around there. Did you I, know him well then? Oh yeah, yeah. So were you with him during the switch? Yeah, I was with him during the switch. I was and with explain him. Explain that because I would imagine mm -hmm. a whole bunch of his staff mm -hmm. who are Democrats. Must have really been angry. Yeah, there was a couple things that happened there. One, there was this narrative that the staff found out through the media, and that actually was the Washington, D.C. staff. Our uh, deputy it, chief of true? staff. One more time. Was it true that that's how you found out? No. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to get into. So we had a sort of oddly bifurcated management structure then. So the person who was over the Colorado operations chose to share the news with us so we'd be ready to react in the morning. It was March 3rd, 1995. I've got the date burned into my brain. <laughs> so the people who found out through the media were the Washington, D.C.-based people. And Ben gave everyone the opportunity to continue forward if they chose to. And I'm like, well, I belong to the party of Benjamin Franklin. So if I'm still getting paid, I can sort of live with this, you know. <laughs> so but getting into just a couple of what I saw, some of the reasons you mentioned, you know, the uh, 92 race, because they were essentially the Democratic establishment was trying to hand that Senate seat from Dick Lamb to Tim Worth, right. vice versa, from Tim Worth to Dick Lamb. And then here comes the ponytailed guy who, you know, dropped out of high school and has a, you know, a GED and a phys ed degree and all this, and it upset the 17th Street Democratic apple cart. And so, one, he never was respected 
to the level he should have been as a senator. And I understand. Hold on, hold, hold on for yes, just a second. Hmm? How would you explain Ben Nighthorse Campbell to somebody? Let's face it. Everybody in Colorado is, is new. Is now. new. <laughs> and Colorado has these political characters, Dick Lamb being one of them, yes. who is just this great iconoclast. Yes. A free thinking guy. He doesn't. He doesn't do what the party tells him to do. He 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 cares about something different. He is drawn by a different northern star. You yes. know what I mean? And then you look at Ben Nighthorse Campbell, an American Indian or part American Indian. I was never never Por- really too sure. Portuguese and Northern Cheyenne. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's just say you don't know where this guy is gonna come from, where he's gonna land. He's Indian. He's a jewelry maker. Mm-hmm. He's always riding a Harley, it seemed. Mm-hmm. He just didn't look like your average congressman and then senator. For history's sake, draw a picture of just what a weird dude this guy is. <laughs> you know, because there's a, there's there's a page in Colorado history for, mm-hmm. for Nighthorse. For sure. So essentially, he ended up getting into politics because he was a award-winning jeweler long before he ever got into a political career. And he ended up essentially getting drafted, I believe, at a county assembly down in the Four Corners to originally run for the Colorado State House. And a lot of what he brought to the table was the perspective of lived experience. He grew up in an orphanage. He served in the military as an air policeman. He was a trucker, so he's a card-carrying teamster. So he's a veteran. So he's all of those things. And so he was able to bring what I call the non-Brooks Brothers kind of perspective (laughs) to politics, again, based on his lived experience. But as uh, someone who lived in the 3rd Congressional District and is, you know, he was a practicing rancher at the time, you know, some of his views on things like the Second Amendment put him, you know, at odds with the Democratic Party. And then also the thing that he hated the most was being what we called 99 percented. So say you have a constituency that you're with 99 percent of the time, law enforcement, uh, unions, uh, truckers, teachers, whomever. And then the one time you say, hey, we may have to balance out a perspective, then everyone goes bananas. And one of the things I always like to joke about is wondering what it'd be like to serve with Senator Campbell in the advent of social media. He would flip his chili over prefabricated postcards. If a constituent doesn't have 20 seconds to write down an original thought, we're just going to do a tick chart. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's like... I don't mind interacting with constituents, but please just take a second to give us an original thought. Don't just fill your name in on the prefab card that came from somewhere. But he also was very popular. And as a matter of fact, after his party switch, he actually won by a larger margin than when he ran as a Democrat. And he had the ability to connect sort of across demographics. And so here's a quick example for you. Uh, Law enforcement and anti-gang work. He managed to work both sides of that. A, by making sure, like our law enforcement professionals, if they were from a jurisdiction that was not well-resourced enough to make sure they had bulletproof vests, he would help them out. 
but then he would also help out things like uh, Reverend Kelly at Open Door Youth Gang Alternatives or the old Metro Denver Gang Coalition to work on the prevention side. I will never forget taking him to a meeting with two bloods, I believe, in what was neutral territory at the old House of Pies on 7th and Colorado Boulevard. And these guys had just fairly recently been in a shootout, so they show up to the House of Pies in a bullet-pocked car. And see, I'm, you know, <laughs> I have zero street <laughs> credibility, so I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. But he's that guy who could work that demographic all the way up to Cherry Hills why, and everything in between. Why did he switch from Dem to R? When mm -hmm. he did, the R's were in control. Mm -hmm. I believe he got some choice committee assignments. And so there's a reason to do that. That was back when the state was rolling more R. Mm -hmm. As you said, he won by even larger numbers. Mm -hmm. it, it, it seemed like a smart political move, but he would have likely won as a Dem as well. Colorado, particularly then, mm -hmm. was more about the guy than the party, and he was a popular guy. Yeah, but the thing is, and like I was saying earlier, this was still back in the days when you could have disagreement within political discourse. Yeah. But I never was of the school of thought, regardless if you agreed with an elected official or not, that you had the right to thump them in the chest in public, as a for right. instance. It didn't happen all the time, but I did see it happen on more than one occasion. So there were two factors in the party switch, in my belief, because I was not, I was the press secretary. I was not in the inner, inner, inner circle, but I was, you know, circle adjacent. One was there was the 17th Street Democratic establishment who never forgave him for beating Dick Lamb. And so he was never yeah. going to be green enough, union enough, veteran enough, anything to satisfy them. But the kicker was the balanced budget amendment. For the first time, they were homing in on getting a balanced budget amendment. Clinton picked up the phone, twisted a few Democratic arms, and the thing ended up going down by like one or two votes. And that was essentially it. So I started seeing the writing on the wall, and then we got contacted by uh, the late Chuck Green of the Denver Post. Oh, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Says, we understand this party switch is happening. We have our sources and we're going uh, copyrighted above the fold tomorrow and we're going with or without you. And that's when we all and the Colorado side jumped on a conference call. Here's what we need to do. My role, because I was deputy press secretary at the time, was getting him on all five local TV channels between planes out at DIA. And that's what wow. got me promoted to press secretary where I worked for how him in Chuck Washington. How did Chuck know that? How did, he get, how did he get the scoop on that? I'm not sure how he got the scoop, but he had it to the point of, like I mentioned, that he was going not only above the fold, but copyrighted. Wow. And see, that's the thing. And uh, one, you know, Ben, um, is what I like to call us the term, sort of a hail, well-met kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm sure he probably, you know, got chatty somewhere, yeah. you know, or, <laughs> hey, and I'm giving some thought to, you know, and then one person I remember, tells I remember the rumors. I yes. remember the rumors, so it wasn't a surprise. Right. But it, was, it was still a big deal. Yes, it was. And also, as I like to say, this predates social media. So instead of threats on Twitter to come kick your ass, people would actually show up <laughs> at the office. That's how mad they were. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it took uh, me a couple of years to get his media turned around to the point where the lead was not always Ben Nighthorse Campbell, who switched parties on March 3rd, 1995, right. did such and such, or got this appropriated for the state or whatever. Well, you saw it from that side mm -hmm. of, of all the Democrats who wanted to, to, to kick him. Mm -hmm. I saw it from the other side, mm -hmm. which is, we can't trust this bastard. We, we can't trust him. Now, all those Republicans who stood in line who would be a better Republican, and you know, from my point of view, of course he'd be a better Republican. You know, this guy is a squishy Republican at best. <laughs> and he was probably a moderate Democrat and a little too conservative on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so, so a lot of the Republicans were like, we could have beaten him. Like, you couldn't have beaten him. But, you know, there was that, there was that thought. It was just, it was such a different, more fun time mm -hmm. in Colorado politics. People were more accessible, mm -hmm. and it showed you how much more close that Venn diagram was between Democrat and Republican. Bring it to today for me, Alden, because can, can you mention anyone in the federal delegation, anyone of our... That could possibly switch teams. I really can't think of anyone, and you make a really good analogy with the Venn diagram, because think of our delegation at the time. It was Schroeder, then DeGette, right. Scott McGinnis, Hank McGinnis, Brown. McGinnis was the guy who was the heir apparent, and he was he was gonna run for, for Senate. And and the Republicans, the, the backers had to say, Scott, we love you but you can't run. We'll back you next time. We'll back you, but since Nighthorse did this, we, we, have to, we, have to, we have to get behind him. And to Scott's credit, he stayed back. He could have challenged him, but he didn't. And that, that took a lot. Yeah, and that was a different kind of delegation then because also I remember the welcome that we got after the party switch from Hank Brown. Because remember, yeah. you are literally talking Jefferson Jackson dinners one night, Lincoln Day <laughs> dinners the next. I remember going to those Lincoln <laughs> dinners. I remember. And let's hear it for our new Republican <laughs> senator. And people are like, do I clap? Am I supposed to clap? <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday we were supposed to defeat this guy. And there was a, yeah. And it was an interesting experience for everybody, trust me, because um, every time I went to a Republican function, I was either accused of being Dick Poole or the late Joe Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now, we're, all right, let's go, because only, only I, old guys are listening at this point. Let's, let's, let's bring it to something new. Mm -hmm. You've also had experience in um, clerk and recorders. Yes. All right, so you saw the election fraud firsthand. I'm not accusing you personally of uh -huh. the electorate. I'm sure you knew something was going there. If you <laughs> saw it, you would have reported it and done something. So I want to make it very clear. You didn't see it. You were looking someplace else when the elections were stolen. Okay. They, no, they were, John. They were there. <laughs> so so I, I, please define your term because that's one of the things and you mentioned today's politics is we have a tendency to buzz phrase things. So define to me what you consider quote unquote election fraud so we can have this discussion. Well, when you, in the last election, you were working in the uh, city's clerk and recorder's office. Correct, uh-huh. And if I saw the videos right, it was 
your minivan that drove up to the back and you were pulling out lots of ballots personally, ripping up the ones you didn't nope. and putting them, that, that sure looked like, no, it, you're absolutely right about the, the terms. And it, it's interesting. Terms like vote harvesting is a term I use mm -hmm. because it's accurate and vote harvesting is completely legal in Colorado. If the idea is that going out and getting a ballot and getting it in mm -hmm. is vote harvesting. Yes. My team, Team Conservative, Team Limited Government, mm -hmm. we don't do this. We suck at this. Team Progressive, they've got it down to a battle plan and they are superb at it. And so my team screams, they're ballot harvesting. And I'll scream, yeah, that's why they win. And that's not, that's not fraud. That's how you win. Now, if you're talking about stealing ballots mm -hmm. from a mailroom in a condo complex mm -hmm. and returning those ballots, mm -hmm. that's voter fraud. That's illegal. That is illegal. And it happens. Well, let's, well, yeah, and that's the thing. Let, 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 let me finish this. Okay. It happens. There's no doubt it happens, but it's really, really hard to prove, really hard to catch. And, mm. and you've got to say, how much does it happen? I, don't, I personally don't believe that a signature is voter verification. It's mm. close because... A, a, a signature is found online. It's it's easy to. It's, it's not it's not an ID. I don't like mail-in ballots. I think they're open for a lot of funny business. That being said, okay. Colorado's mail-in system is probably one of the more secure in in the country. It's definitely one of the more secure. So let's uh, start with the harvesting piece. Yeah, using the 2016 election as uh, an example. Okay, okay. so. Um, the reason I bring up 2016 is because of the way that the Republicans got shellacked in 2008 and 2012 by the Obama team use of social media. And ballot harvesting. And social media. But keep yeah. in mind that then you saw that was part of the playbook on the other side in 2016. So now, to your point all this concern about ballot harvesting, now people on the right are saying, if that is the state law that allows you to return up to 10 voted ballots, right. instead of standing out here on the sidelines and screaming about it, we probably need to get in the game. Right, exactly. And so they're starting to get in the games there. Now, as far as oh, the- Stop there for a second. Yes. There is no way to enforce the 10 ballot limit. To bring people up to speed, in Colorado, Activists can go knock on doors, and because of their sophisticated databases and analytics, mm -hmm. they know how you're going to vote. They know how I'm going to vote. And because of uh, we have a voting month, not a voting day, they know if you've if you yes. voted. So they, all they need they know to grab your ballot, not mine, depending on who's they're working for. If you haven't, they're going to knock on your door. They're going to call you. They're going to have friends call you. They will hound you. 
Mm-hmm. And one person is allowed to go and get 10 ballots. Correct. And bring them down to the ballot box and stuff them in. Mm-hmm. And then he has to stop. Do you really believe that a good activist <laughs> only does it and grabs 10 ballots and goes, sorry, guys, I work for Get Out the Campaign for, for Communists, uh, but... <laughs> But I got my 10 ballots in. I know I've been paid for 20 hours this week. Uh, but I've got my 10 ballots, uh, and so I can only get 10. Yeah, and you know, you make a good be, be point there. Now. Oh, yeah, no, I'm being totally so honest. So they're breaking the law when they bring in 11. Yes, and so, so here's a, for instance, there's a slight nuance there. You know, I'm very uh, close to our Denver police department detail that worked our elections. And so I would watch how they would enforce it at the drop-off. There was a guy in this very nice, probably like $90,000 BMW with the little uh, Buick circles down the front of the hood and everything, who came around a second time with nine, and the cops are like, well, wait a minute, that's 18. So if anyone shows up with more than 10 in person to like a drop-off, they do sign a form and then they do get a hand slap letter that comes, you know, from, you know, I'm not sure if it's the AG or the DA or someone saying, hey, that was a violation of law. But yeah, you're right. There is no actual enforcement of that. And it's also an arbitrary number because I remember the number I think used to be lower. I think it maybe went like five to seven to 10 or something like that. And how many mail drop-offs have nobody watching? have nothing going on well they each one's under 24 7 cameras so i'm just right think I'm sure. about the, the slots like this big so if you see the same person you know showing up and trying to shinny eight or ten ballots into one of those boxes they're going to be there a while yeah so <laughs> so but again that's what they get paid for but again that's about tool that's now being used on both sides. Now, to your point... It is not being used on both sides. Uh, yes, let me, John, let, me, let me tell you. John. Let me tell you for a <laughs> fact. My side sucks at this. We don't put money into it's it. part of the new playbook, John. Trust yeah, me on that's this why, one. That's why, <laughs> that's why here in this state, the Republicans have a veto-proof majority in the House a veto-proof majority in the state Senate, a Republican governor, all the... No, we have none of that. The state has never been more blue in mm-hmm. the history of the state. Mm-hmm. Republicans have no power anywhere in this state, in state government, and uh, most cities as well, because we don't know how to play this game. And exactly. We don't play it. And that's where you So don't, don't tell me that... The other side does it as well. No, but I'm saying that leading into 24, I have seen the coverage saying that that is going to be part of the playbook because people are coming to the same realization that you are. Now, back to signatures. Listen, listen, dude, I've been playing this. You've been playing the game a while. For three decades. My team ain't nowhere near ready to play this. And that's why they say, you know, what's the phrase? Don't hate the player, hate the game. So yeah, let me, y'all let me tell need, you, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're too busy screaming of who's more pure and how, <laughs> how Trump really did win Colorado oh, boy. Uh, last time around. So back to the thing about the uh, condos and, you know, there are two schools of thought on signatures, but all of our people who handle signatures are trained by a former FBI forensic handwriting analyst. 
He comes in, he shows what natural variation looks like, and then we're able to go back over prior signatures because signatures change with age. So I've been voting since I was 18 years old. My signature from 18 to now 60 has changed but they're able to do an on-screen comparison. And if someone flags something, they call over a member of an opposite party to say, you know, what do you think about the curly Q in John's O or what his N looks like? And if they agree, then it continues on. If there's an issue, then it gets escalated to another level. And there's one another nuance here. Notice the face that did this. Yeah, I which goes like this. What's it go like? So you're you're talking about a signature, which is not identification, mm-hmm. and a signature, whether it changes or not, is not identification. It matches what it matches what's in the system. But if you vote in person, you do have to produce identification. Right. I want to go back to the days of an election day, which mm-hmm. would. Mind you, it's not happening, all right? I'm just telling you. Right, right. That, that, that's your utopia. Yeah. It was great when we got together in precincts, you saw your neighbors, you showed an ID. <laughs> you know, and the idea, oh, that's voter intimidation. Oh, what, horse hockey. You know, you can't cash a check, you can't get into the airport, you can't get buy a beer, you can't do anything. It's voter intimidation, oh my God. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, but to go with the signatures, you still have to produce identification. So say you are in what's called ID verify status. Someone comes rolling up at you at the Taste of Colorado and register you to vote and you don't have your wallet on you. Mm -hmm. Okay, you get your ballot, but you also get a sheet of paper with instructions on which ID copy that you have to send back. Now, of course, this is our current society, so I'm not going to sit here and say that we never saw real IDs, we never got passports, we never got credit cards. It's like photocopy. Send in a photocopy of your valid ID if we do not have it on file. And when you do a same-day voter registration, you don't need a photo ID. You can use a utility bill. Mm-hmm. I can't get a library card, <laughs> but I can vote. I can vote, but I can't get a library card without a photo ID. And if, Something's wrong here, if, Alden. If there's any question, remember all the way back to Florida 2000 and the advent of the Help America Vote Act. Even though they're hardly used anymore, there is still a provisional balloting process where you have the same eight-day window that we use for military and overseas ballots to come in, or if someone forgets to sign their ballot envelope or we can't make out the signature. And that was the other nuance I was going to bring up. If you get a letter from your county clerk saying you didn't sign your ballot and you say, okay, well, my person won or lost by 20000 I don't care, that's fine. If you get a letter from your county clerk saying that we cannot make out your signature and you do not respond to that, by Colorado law, it is an automatic referral to the district attorney for further investigation. Cough, cough, Steve Curtis. Yeah. It was other than Steve Curtis, and it wasn't because Steve Curtis, former uh, chairman of the Republican Party, one of our finest, um, Steve Curtis was not caught in voter fraud because of his signature, was he? He was caught because he voted someone else's ballot and that's how it was caught. No. (laughs) How was he caught in voter fraud? 
because someone else, his pissed off ex-wife, turned him Ratted in. Ratted him out It for... wasn't his signature. No was... one gets caught because of the signature. No, I would have to disagree with that. We have, uh, even back before this became part of the narrative. How many, people, how many people have landed in jail because of voter fraud because it was caught on a signature? Jail, I can't say, if any, in Colorado. I can say prosecuted. I can say prosecuted. Even before this became part of the narrative, not too long after I started at the old Denver Election Commission, we caught somebody who had voted a deceased relative's ballot. And they forged this deceased relative's signature, and our person made that catch. Another couple of examples, you know, I know we're focusing on ballots, but don't forget about the petitioning process. We caught uh, some people, this is back when the sheriffs yeah. were trying to get arrest power about 15 years ago or so, and one of our people spotted a handwriting pattern, and it turned out they were probably hunkered down in like a Holiday Inn or something and just going through a white pages. Oh, right. So we do, just as people who work in the world of elections, we do take this very seriously. And the thing that we have to remind people is that things do get prosecuted when caught. Uh, that's proof there's voter fraud. Oh, no one ever said it doesn't exist, but is it the widespread thing that's flipping elections? No. Let me concede a couple things. Okay. Colorado's mail-in ballots are much safer than other states' mail-in ballots. Yes. Because Colorado's ballots evolved over time. Yes. Went from uh, uh, absentee ballots to permanent absentee ballots. To absentee to, on uh, demand. Right, right, and, blah, yes. da, da, da. Uh -huh. and it was something because the parties liked it because they could check off people who already voted earlier. And save their resources. Right. <laughs> if I knew that you voted, I can stop sending you stuff in the mail, save a couple pennies. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into this god-awful, uh, instead of uh, election day and election month, and it's turned into this monster and people are knocking on your doors. And now we have a blue state. Thank you very much. <laughs> but when COVID came mm -hmm. and states decided out of the blue, well, we're just going to print up a bunch of ballots and throw them in the mail like grocery store coupons. It really was an invitation for all sorts of mischief. And you cannot look at, and I'm not saying this election was stolen. Right. All right. Okay. But you cannot, you cannot look at states like Pennsylvania, even Michigan, and places that said, uh, "We've never done this before," <laughs> and and say this is going to go well. And so the the cases for the possibility of fraud of people of people doing these things without the the checks and balances Colorado has drawn, and I still hate. Um, uh, mail-in ballots, uh, there's, there's a real threat there. And so you can understand why people would be like, eh, and why somebody like Donald Trump can say the election was stolen and take cases and, and, and bring it up and go, see here, see here, see here. It's never been done and have something to hang their hat on. And when NPR says, and baseless claims. No, they're not baseless claims. There are lots of examples in those states of real fraud. Enough to change the election? Likely not. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then you have a system where the news media goes, absolutely no. No, there's, it's not black and white. 
the other part of that I miss about election day mm-hmm. was a lack of intimidation. When you went to a voting place, you're alone. You close the curtain. I remember those big. Oh yes. You might have an abusive husband, and you can say, "Yeah, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump." Absolutely. And there you are. He's not there. You can vote the way you want. There are no voting parties in the nursing home when you are in there. When you have mail-in ballots, there are voting parties. There, you're there in your home. Who are you voting for? We see what are you doing over there. There, there is a different dynamic. The idea of a secret ballot changes when you have mail-in ballots. When you have 20 ballots going to the same house or the same household, there is a different dynamic. A secret ballot is not really secret anymore in Colorado or in many states. And we don't talk about that because shh. in cancel culture, you don't talk about that. I miss election day. And we could still have an election month. We could still have an election week where people go in, show an ID, and vote. I wish we brought it back. Yeah, well, some of this, John, you also have to, and you you sort of touched on this earlier, it's uh, data-driven. Because you talked about, you know, yourself, the old days of when you had to show cause to get a quote unquote absentee ballot. And then that sort of evolved. I'm gonna be out of town. And exactly, and then that evolved and evolved, but the data was there showing that more and more people like to just use them in general. And like you said, and there is a, you know, Denver and Colorado do have lengthy early voting periods. And, you know, but Remember, you don't see a lot of people showing up in person. It was 2016 when Hillary Clinton claimed voter fraud was the reason she lost. Mm-hmm. So basically now we have a system where no matter who loses, it's voter fraud. Yeah, and that has that even predates the mail ballot discussion. What's the first thing that happens when you come up short? You point fingers at the process. And I have seen that from both parties. I, again, have been voting since I was 18. I waved my first uh, sign for Jimmy Carter in 76. I I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. I I knew it. I walked precincts for Wellington Webb when he first ran for the state house. Flip flops while you did it. (laughs) And I also. You're probably smoking a big old doobie. Hey, see, and I'm, you know, and I'm a proud unaffiliated and having been, you know, around shamed unaffiliated both uh, parties. I have to admit, I had a very good time in 1996 at the uh, GOP convention in San Diego. We were out there with uh, Team Dole. You know what I know it, and the American people know it. I know it. Bob Dole Dole knows it. Bob Dole knows it. it. (laughs) And, you know, but again, to your earlier point, it just harkens back to a different time in our politics. Remember the old days? when the main differences between parties was the role of government to bring about the end. Remember those days? You've hit it. I think you've hit it. I think we're changing in America, maybe in Colorado as well, Mm -hmm. that the difference is a change in the end. That before, we both wanted the same end. Yes. And now, I see there's a difference. No, we want different ends. Uh, 
There was a time we agreed on safe neighborhoods, safe schools, good roads. It's just like, you know, the, helping the people experiencing homelessness. You know, is that the church? Is it corporate America? Is it government? You know, that was kind of the dividing line back then. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm a news junkie. So even though I am no longer working, you know, for a county elections office, I'm still watching everything going on nationally. And I've always been a big fan of situational awareness. So I've never thought it serves me well just to see what's just on CNN without checking Fox or checking OAN, you, just to hear the narrative, just to see you know, what these differences are. But I think you are onto something as far as the end seemed to be different. There was a time when people were just like, you know, especially out here in the wild, wild west where we're rugged individualists, you know, mind your own business, take home a little more of your hard-earned money, have a safe school for your kid to go to. That didn't seem like those were political flashpoints at the time. Oh, because here and in now, Colorado, it's not rugged individualism. What is it? Well, now it's individualism versus collectivism, hmm. and collectivism is winning in Colorado. It scares me to death. It's not what I was raised with, and it's sad. For me, it's very, very sad. All right, let's wrap it up with this question. Mm-hmm there still has to be parts of this election system, and you've seen it from the inside, mm -hmm. that you would want to improve. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you want to give everybody five ballots, but <laughs> beyond that, Alden, what, what change would you make? I mean, I've told you what I would do. I, mm -hmm. If I could wave a magic wand, mm -hmm. I would go back to in-person in voting. I would expand it maybe to a couple of days, but you, you got to go in and you got to show something that's you. I think it would change things dramatically. And then getting out the vote would be getting out the person. And I remember, you remember the days when voting depended on getting the person to the polling place, whether it would matter. And that's not always good. So spread out the election day to a few days, but not an entire month. And the ballot is a sacred thing. It's not a grocery store coupon. What would you do to improve what we have here in Colorado? The only thing that I would change... I mean, with, other than not letting Italians vote, what, <laughs> what would you do? You know, I, as somebody who, you know, always tried to be a fairly good steward of the uh, taxpayer dollar, the one thing that I would do would be just to slightly shorten the in-person early voting period. And the reason I say that is, and again, this is all data driven. So say you're heading into a general election and you have a two week period of early voting. The first, the first week, nobody shows up at all. Really? I mean, at all. But and that's one of the things that I always talked about when I listened to the legislative debates about, you know, what we can do to improve Colorado elections. So then you have, you know, people saying, you know, strengthen the ID requirements and, you know, have citizenship proof and all this. You have that on one side. On the other side, it's like, let's make an even longer early voting period or leave the polls open until 8 or 9 p.m. And in Colorado, you get your ballots through our current system 22 days ahead of time, somewhere from 22 days, usually all show up in that first week. Right. So those are the, that part is the part that I don't think is necessary. I'll, let me add this other part. Mm -hmm. As somebody who believes in living in government, mm -hmm. a, 
voting month is pro-government growth. Here's why. Okay. On election day, um, usually the, the, the media cycle goes like this. The top election, who's going to be president? Man, you argue, argue, argue. Then next, who's going to be governor? Well, you argue, argue that. And then closer to election day, those down-ballot items start getting some media coverage. Mm-hmm. Well, those down-ballot items are really important. Yes. Those are tax increases. Those are local issues. That's a mill levy increase for your school board or your fire district. And when those start getting more coverage, you see that the more information you get, from my point of view, since I fight a lot of those, Mm -hmm. once those get engaged and you learn more about them, they tend to go from 60% approval to 55 to 51 to maybe 49 and so when election day happens, the yes vote goes negative. Hmm. And one of the reasons I think progressives love early voting is because nobody has done the research yet. The media hasn't caught up with those lower down ballot items to hmm. tell people what those things are. And that's why it's my three decades of fighting tax increases. Uh-huh. You see them start at this high level and over time they drop. So if you get people to vote early, you're more likely to get these things to pass because they haven't been in the in the public's eye. They haven't uh, been talked about. They're not on the public square. And that's when you vote early, you're, you don't know about it. Oh, that sounds good, but you haven't heard about the negative side yet. Mm-hmm. And the reporters haven't gotten to it. They're still doing all the sexy stuff. <laughs> well, that's one of the other nuances because I believe that all elections are important. I'm a pothole voter. Yeah. So as much as, yeah, you talked about President, Congress, U.S. Yeah, Senate, a, all yeah, that. And when the tax increase says, to fix potholes, <laughs> will you vote for this? And then it says on the bottom, and it, and it will take away your Tabor refunds forever. <laughs> this is what Prop HH will do. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, wait a second, I didn't know that part about it. Yes. You know, it takes a while for that for the media to get to that. And there's, you know, to your point, there's an ideological part, but then there's also age-related data. Early voters are 65 and ups. And that's just, you know, how it's been. And that information exists, you know, on various county websites and everything. You can do those kind of breakdowns. And so both sides are chasing the younger demographic. And I saw when we were kicking around some potential topics, you were talking about some of the changes in Denver. Denver, in particular's top voting demographic age-wise, as far as the number of people in that age group are 30 and 31-year-olds. But if you look at the data for who brought their ballot back when, 65 and up bar is here, then it drops down like this, and then you see it start heading back up as we get to election day. It's almost like a hockey stick model, where early voting is part of the, and then you get to the blade. And who's doing the blade? The blade is young folks. Okay. The, the, so who brings in most of the ballots by, at, at the end of the day? Who votes the most? Uh, the most would be younger people and then also, and this is just my personal belief, uh, communities of color. So, and that again is looking at the data. So looking at the numbers, say for the Green Valley Ranch Recreation Center or the Montbello Recreation Center. You know, some of the last so people- So what you're telling me is that we need to say that election day is on Tuesday 
but we really need to have it on Sunday and not tell anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm having a flashback to some attempted voter misinformation that took place in the south part of the state a few years ago where some official-looking communication saying that if you're worried about lines on Tuesday, show up on Wednesday. Please don't even joke about things like no, that. No, no, no. I think but, what it was is if you're a Republican, vote on Tuesday. If you're a Democrat, <laughs> vote on Wednesday. That yeah. is an official That is an official, official thing. Line. You came out of the city of... <laughs> And county uh, clerk's office. It most certainly did. It most certainly did. It, 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 it did. most certainly did. Alden, thank you for that little factoid. That'll help out so much. Yes, but, but seriously, though, man, um, you know, it's really incumbent, if you'll pardon the pun, on both parties to engage younger people. I mean, there's a reason. No, no it's not. It's not? Don't let them vote. They're let, nuts. You got to let the young no. people vote, man. Get them <laughs> off my lawn and mostly get them out of the voting booth. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you, but think about it this way, man. You've got uh, Colorado is now solidly unaffiliated. Younger people are saying we're tired of the nonsense on both sides. And I know there's discussion, unaffiliated is not a block. Some people confuse it with yeah. being an independent, which is a party. That's yeah. a whole nother discussion. And by the way, thank you for calling them unaffiliated. It's one of my pet peeves when they call them independents. Yes, they're unaffiliated. And, you know, and I've mentioned this on Colorado Inside Out, that both parties were party to letting unaffiliated participate in primaries. Because even though your vote itself is private, which ballots you return if you're unaffiliated in a primary, which primary you participate in is public record. And so people may not know who you voted for if you have more than one choice, but whether you return a Republican or Democratic ballot, that's public record. And that was a provision of that law when it came into place. And this was before, you know, as you sarcastically put it, the veto-proof majority that took place under the Golden Dome. That was back when there was still a bit more of a balance as when this law passed. Alden, thanks for all this. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> Big takeaways. Republicans vote on Tuesday. Democrats vote on Wednesdays. We got to stop young people from voting and get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. Listen get to you, John. Lawn. Get off my lawn. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Till next time. Thanks for having me in, man. Appreciate you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.